Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Welcome back to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize the topic of mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance for anyone who needs a mental health boost. To provide mental health resources, Maybelline New York will make a monetary donation to mental health organizations in conjunction with each episode. Today, I'm joined by designer, writer, and fierce advocate for body positivity, Gabby Fresh. She sits down with us today to discuss building a brand based on positivity and the importance of loving yourself and uplifting those around you. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you so much for having me. So good to see you. Oh my God, I'm so happy to have you on today. So you are a writer, designer, advocate, influencer, the list goes on and on and on. (laughs) What doesn't she do? Uh, How do you find the time to wear so many different hats and look so good in all of them? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. (laughs) I, it's so interesting. I don't even see myself in this kind of multi-hyphenate way, even though I, I realize that's what's happening. Yeah. I will be the first to say I do struggle with burnout and I'm having one of those right now. So I don't want to give people the impression that I have everything together all the time. It's hard to continuously kind of feel like you're spread really thin and doing everything. And I have had to learn over the course of my career how to kind of prioritize one thing at a time and how to take breaks when I need them, you know? So I think the beautiful part is I love the creative process and I have so many different ways of expressing myself. So truly when I'm in flow, like it feels good to kind of be doing everything. When you have a creative vision specifically, like Mm -hmm. you kind of want at least I will. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> I, I love kind of wearing every hat. I love being like, no, I want it this way. I want this this way. And so I kind of get my fuel and energy from the actual process of creating. I love the details. I do. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously speaking as a fellow creator, like I totally feel what you're talking about, about the burnout. And I feel like a lot of conversations I've been having with other creators, I think that sort of feels like the general consensus right now. Mm -hmm. I think with just like so many things happening on different platforms and things changing and algorithms and also kind of always being expected to elevate and change the way we create content. It's, it's a lot of pressure. It is. And it's not really how human beings work, right? It's like, it's 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 interesting. It's how brands work. But at the end of the day, for those of us creators who kind of, we are our brands, it's, it's hard to feel like you are just disposable at the, in your kind of future or your engagement or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Is in the hands of just like random CEOs who don't really care about you. They care about bottom line. And so that's tough, but I'm the last person. Like I, I know People don't love to hear creators and influencers complain. It's like, come on, dude, like get it together. So, but I will say it's it's real. Burnout is real and being across platforms yeah. and being, like you said, constantly expected to kind of change what you're doing to best fit someone's algorithm. It's a weird way to operate. And I think it's really important for those of us who do feel a little burnt out by that to like take a step back, recognize our values, what's important. Like I, I know yeah. I had to do that at least. And a lot of my friends have had that conversation as well, where we're just like, yeah. okay, at the end of the day, create what we want to create. And like, if something Mm -hmm. doesn't perform on social media, like it can't really 
be the end of the world. <laughs> like it, yeah. just, it is what it is. Create for the love of creation and for your followers and for that connection. And then you have no control over the rest. Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, a job is a job. So yeah, someone might be playing a tiny violin for us, but it's, <laughs> it's still, it's still a job and wearing so many hats can also be anxiety inducing, right? Like, mm-hmm. is this something you've experienced firsthand? And like, if so, how do you manage those feelings? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, like I said, I don't think I, I don't think I get anxiety from having different responsibilities or wearing different hats. If anything, mm-hmm. my anxiety in this field really comes from my perfectionism, which I have worked very hard on trying to get better at. And I think I have really grown through therapy, et cetera. But like, I think my perfectionism comes out, especially in the process of creation and product and wanting things to be exactly how they are in my, in my brain and understanding that that's not always realistic, having to compromise when I'm working with a team of people, having to compromise when I'm working with brands and like having both of our visions come together and make something that everybody Mm -hmm. can be happy with. I think that is where my anxiety can come out because I'm so passionate about what I make. And I'm so like, I think there are a lot of people in the world who may be not that way, who may love one part of their job more than another. My favorite part of my job is creation and is brand and product creation. And so, yeah, my anxiety comes about like during (laughs) pre-launch, thinking of campaign (laughs) ideas, wondering how sales are going to be. That kind of thing is really where the majority of my anxiety comes to play when it comes to my career, at least. Yeah, I hear that. And how do you manage your time and not let yourself become overwhelmed and drained? Like I said, I mean, it's it's tough. I think I have had to really get to know myself. That is what I have learned more than anything in my career and also in the process of doing self-work is like you cannot compare yourself to other people and you can also not have the expectations like you can't. I'm not going to compare myself to somebody who may have different capabilities, strengths, weaknesses than me. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. who are you? What are you good at? How do you yeah. best work? How do you get into flow? I have ADHD and I cannot have the same exact routine day in and day out. It does not work for me. And then mm-hmm. I try it for so long and then I beat myself up when I can't do it. And it's just a shame yeah. spiral, right? Of like, oh, I didn't do enough yep. this day. And, and that's not the best way to work. It's like, how do you work with your brain? How do you work with yourself? How do you yeah. set, um, set up a way to work that best serves you? And so I think Absolutely. once you really are honest with yourself about that, then mm-hmm. you can get to a place where you're less likely to have those burnouts. And like, I think, like I said, kind of even scheduling in rest, scheduling in breaks for yourself is really important, at least for me. Again, other people may work differently, but that's what I've come to learn about me. No, I, I love that. And I think even for me as, you know, I'm very like astrology obsessed and I love human Same. design and all of those things. So yeah. I've also used those as tools to help best inform like how I can be the most productive and maximize what I'm on this earth to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about getting to know yourself. And I am just now learning about human design. I don't really get it yet, but I'm <laughs> interested in it. I have, I've had so many people talk to me about it because I feel like that has, that holds more answers for me. So I'm excited to learn more about it. Wait, do you not, what are you? I am a generator, man of, wait. No, just oh, manifesting generator so or generator. I think I'm a so generator. Fun. Yeah. So when I read all of the different descriptions, if I'm remembering correctly, forgive me, it's been a few months, but if I'm re- remembering correctly, when I read all the descriptions, I was like, oh, I'm definitely a manifesting generator. Like that's the one that resonates with me. But then I think when I looked at it, I'm actually just the generator. And then I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> but again, apparently there's like definitely good things about that too. But I would love to hear more about your experience as a generator because I was under the impression like, oh, we just kind of work for other people. And that does not resonate as what I actually 
do. Oh, no. Okay. No. I don't think specifically it says anything about whether we're best like working for ourselves or like within an organization, Mm -hmm. but I did once read that we work best interacting with lots of different people, Mm, Yes, but the biggest thing for me about being a generator is that is listening to my gut when I need to make decisions. Absolutely. So I think that has been really eye-opening for me because I can be very indecisive and in the position that I'm in, like I have to make decisions all the time, every day. Do I want to work on this project? Do I want to work on that project? And so like really trusting my gut and like going with if something feels in my body, like, yes, this is something I feel excited to do. And those projects where I'm kind of like, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. I need to think about it. I feel like I'm better at listening to that as like a, I probably shouldn't do it because I think a lot of times when I take on things because I quote unquote should do it, Mm -hmm. I kind of end up regretting it. Me too. Absolutely. That's such a good way to put it. And it's so funny because when in so many interviews, I've always asked, like, what advice do you have? And I always tell people, listen to your gut because I haven't in some cases and I regret it. But then even Mm -hmm. I, I still struggle with it because I'm constantly doubting myself when it comes to like, again, what you should do, what people, what people around you are telling you you're supposed to do and what maybe even your audience or your managers or whoever have responded well to that. You're like, well, but this doesn't feel good. So I still even to this day, as much as I have learned the lesson, there are still times where I'm like, but maybe I should do it. So, yeah, it's interesting and good to know that with as a as a generator, you're not you're supposed to listen to your gut because it's just more validation for me that I should do that more often. Absolutely. And for those who are listening who don't exactly know what human design is, like I don't have the full definition, but it kind of combines like astrology and like Vedic philosophy and it kind of organizes people into like different energy types. And I think it's most useful in figuring out how one works best Mm -hmm. for anyone who's curious. Highly recommend digging further into it though, especially if you're an astrology lover, but moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So you're also a pioneer when it comes to being an advocate for body positivity. Obviously you're being one of the first plus size fashion bloggers to like really emerge on the scene. Tell us a little bit about your decision to put yourself out there and add your voice to that conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny to think about now, but I started my blog in 2008. Even prior to that, I was participating in online forums around body positivity. There were very few, very few plus size Mm -hmm. bloggers. Like I was the first well-known plus size blogger in the States. There was one who I loved. Her name is Stephanie Zwicky. She's still around. She's in France. And mm-hmm. I, I loved her so much, but I was seeing people who I loved, like Ami Song and like, yeah. you know, Tavi and so many other people, Susie Bubble, Brian Boy, mm-hmm. all of those OGs, right? We all came up together, but there were, I was one of very few plus size bloggers. And I'm so excited because so many of us who started together are still around. And like, yeah. it's so cool to see how much things have changed in the best way. Yeah. Because like, you can't even compare what the landscape was like in 2008, 2009 to now. Like it's a completely different world. And to see the impact that all of us made as a community has been really inspiring and really cool to watch. And then I'm sorry, I just realized I didn't answer your question. What was your question? How did I decide Uh, to get into it? (laughs) Yeah. Your decision to yeah put yourself out there and be like such a champion for body positivity. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a natural progression of my own journey with my body. Again, at the time there was, 
nothing really out there. There were very few resources. I'll put it that way. There were very few resources for plus size women. And then I had always grown up loving fashion and feeling like I would love to work in that space, but feeling like that wasn't possible for me. And again, Mm -hmm. people look at that now and think that's a little wild. But back then that was like a thing. Like I was in high school, I was watching Devil Wears Prada and all of these things and daydreaming about like, I wish I could do that, but I never saw anyone who looked like me. And so when I found this online forum on Live Journal, throwback to those who remember oh, that website. Oh my God. Yes. I was on Live Journal. <laughs> yeah. So there were communities there dedicated to different things. Some were for fashion that I was involved in. And there was one that was called Fatchinista. And it was for fat girls who love fashion, but it also combined body politics with fashion. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, this exists. Like, who knew this was possible? And from there, it kind of blew my mind open. And I still had a lot of work to do on myself in terms of learning to love my body. But just the fact that there were other people who were plus size who also loved fashion was like enough for me. But like also putting yourself out there and voicing your opinion can be a scary thing. Like obviously we all know how like social media and the internet work and they're not always the friendliest places. So how did you manage any fear or anxiety you may have felt about that? And like, how do you manage those feelings now? Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like I in some ways have more anxiety now about that than I did Mm -hmm. when I started. When I started, I was just like, let's do this. Like I had no... I truly had no aspirations of thinking that my blog was going to become its own thing because that didn't exist back then. It was very much like people sharing resources. Everyone had a blog role. You would just like say all your friends on the side of your blog. You would help people learn where to shop. There were no affiliate links. Well, I think some like it was very early back then, but it was pre reward style and all of that kind of thing. It was very much like we're here to connect with other people. We're here to connect with our audience. I want to tell other girls where I get my clothes because I know how hard it is. I want to talk mm-hmm. about celebrity style and how to translate that if you're plus size. I want to talk about how I'm shopping in thrift stores and how I'm shopping at straight size stores because there are no plus size stores. Figuring out how I can make this stuff work for me. And that's really what it was about. And so I was less concerned with like trolls and stuff. And there was also no social yeah. media. <laughs> so that was nice. Right. Um <laughs> Twitter had just (laughs) launched. So when I started my blog, my blog was its independent own thing. My only connection to my followers was on my blog, leaving, they would leave comments and I would leave a comment back and it was 99.9% positive. I did start getting, I still grew up on the internet though, right? So like I still experienced people talking shit for lack of a better word. Um, Even in those online forums I was talking about, there was a lot of anonymous shit talking Mm. happening. So I was very much used to people and I participated in some of it. If I'm honest, back then I was not, I was just like, a, I think I was in college at that point. And so it was very much the days of like, it was very normal to be mean yeah. and say, yeah, not nice and I wasn't, I don't people. think I was like the meanest person in the world, but it was, there was a, <laughs> there was an internet culture around, I yes. forget the critiquing. word. Like yeah. even just like critiquing and you would be like, oh, well, she looks bad. In yeah. That. It was she, very judgmental. Like, it was very, yes. it was just so funny because I look back at pictures of myself and I'm like, who the hell did I think I was saying anything <laughs> yeah. about anyone else's outfits? Lord Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, but I was never a troll. I was never, I never like participated right. in like troll culture. And I did get some of that. And of course, as my blog got bigger and as I started to be on the internet in my swimsuit and like got picked up by different outlets, I was on Good Morning America, Today Show and all that stuff really early in my career. And mm-hmm. like, of course, it brought with it a lot of commentary. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I can truly say it did not bother me. I have more anxiety around people 
that I know <laughs> gossiping than I have around random strangers on the internet saying I'm fat. Yeah. It's like, yeah, cool. You have eyes. I know I'm fat. I don't. That's clearly part of my identity and part of what I'm doing here on the internet. So like that part doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. Um, I think it got harder for me as the industry grew and there was a lot of talk within the industry. That's where I started right. to feel anxious. And luckily, I think I've grown out of that, too. I, it's so nice to be in your mid-30s and just, like, yes, really girl. not care anymore. <laughs> and I, what I mean by that is, like, truly know who you are and truly have done the work on yourself to understand that you cannot control other people's perceptions of you. And all you can do is you live really in integrity can. and live in alignment with who you are and, like, let the rest go because... Their narrative is not your narrative. And like, that's literally all you can do. Let it go. Apologize where you need to apologize. Make amends when you need to. But otherwise, you can't live by anyone else's standards, perceptions, etc. So I think I've luckily grown through that. But I have been lucky in that like there are other women in the plus size industry who have gotten a lot more troll stuff than I have like some people deal with it constantly like if you go to my Instagram it's not as much of a thing for me I'm not getting Mm -hmm. as much hate as other people have gotten I think the majority of it has come when I'm picked up by the press specifically in like a lingerie campaign or a swim campaign or something like that so it's like kind of these unique moments in time versus like a constant thing that I have to deal with yeah no I agree what you're saying doing this job and like being a person on the internet like you really can't get too wrapped up in like what other people might think about yeah. you because you will quite literally drive yourself insane. Exactly. I was going to say, if you allow, once you allow other people to determine how you feel about yourself, how you feel about your day, what kind of day you're going to have, like you let all of your power go. And like, yes, at the end of the day, we're all human and no one likes to be talked about in a bad way. But at the same time, right, you have to understand that, again, you... You only have control over yourself. And just, again, Mm -hmm. I would say therapy has helped a lot with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm also in some just like recovery programs and like they all just teach the same thing, which is let go and control what you can control, like acknowledge what you can control. So I say the serenity prayer every morning, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And that is like my go to mantra. If once you live by that. Your whole life shifts, I swear to God. And that's not just with like, forget the internet stuff. That's just every day. That's with relationships. That's with work. That's with anything. It's like, let go of the things you can't control and like focus on the things you can. And, you know, Mm -hmm. life changing, I swear. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, I think it's also important, like in this job to not take yourself so seriously Mm -hmm. and just have fun with it. And I know... Obviously, you like to describe yourself on your Instagram bio. You call yourself the OG fat girl. And I've seen your feed called a riot of joy in the press. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this side of you, like how you keep yourself centered, balanced and positive on social media, like as you're creating content on a day to day basis. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I love it because I think I can lose that sometimes. And it's such a good reminder. I have to remind myself, like, we're here to have fun. And it goes back to what you said in the beginning around the algorithm and changing platforms mm. and things change. And it's weird when you're trying to chase, when you're trying to chase that, you're losing so much of what makes you you. And I think that happens to so many of us creators. I see it. It's happened with me, but I've seen it happen with my friends and also just newbies coming into the space who are just like, wait, when I started, this was so fun. Like what happened? Because you lose yourself. You like start off not caring, right? Because you don't have an audience. You don't have 
anyone right. to impress. You're just being yourself. And you'll see mm-hmm. it happen with your favorite creators who maybe you don't even know. And you're like, wait, what happened? They used to be so fun. But then you start chasing the numbers and chasing the brand deals or whatever. And you start people start to like get a little bit more rigid and like feel a little bit more brand like versus like human. And so I think it's so good. I love TikTok for this reason that has truly broken Mm -hmm. things open and everyone is like, F that. Like we're not doing the polished thing anymore. It doesn't perform there, which I love. It's really about being yourself, having fun, making fun of yourself, dancing, like doing voiceovers. All of that stuff has just brought back such a good, I think, energy for the creator industry. And also Mm -hmm. just for, I think, honestly, just for humanity. Like, I think even as like when I say that, what I mean is like almost everyone is on social media in some form. Right. And I think it had Instagram had created such a world of like aspiration and such a world of I wish I was living that person's life and it really yeah. made people not feel good and I it love was like the glo- it's like the glossy like fashion yeah like, it had become like the new magazine, fashion you know, magazine social- yeah yeah it truly replaced the old school like media with now there was Instagram you're watching your favorite influencers on trips and on yachts and with these perfectly toned abs and getting married in Italy and like all of this stuff and you're just like sitting in your apartment like this sucks I feel bad I'm looking in the mirror I don't look like those girls all of that and for TikTok to really break that open and just show real people also sitting in their living rooms but like making jokes and you're like oh these people are so much more entertaining like this is so much more fun to engage with and so I think I'm just so happy that that it happened that way and obviously now we see Instagram try and go in that direction too for better or worse, <laughs> but I'm just, I think that's, having, that's for another episode, right? That's a different episode, <laughs> but yes, I think bringing joy to your work is so important because I really think it shows. And I will look back on my feed and even my creation and my content and my products, whatever it may be. I can tell when I was going through something dark, <laughs> I can tell when I was happy, you can see it and your audience can see it too. You can tell when you're, when the person you're following truly believes in what they're talking about, truly loves the product, truly is having fun on a vacation versus having to be there for work or having to be there because whatever the case may be. And so I think for sure, so many of us, I know, you know, Nicolette, she's one of my good friends of course. and we talk about this all the time. It's so much more important to us to have joy in our lives and to spread that joy through our content than to try to do it the other way around and try to create content that gets a a certain amount of likes and then try to feel joy from that because what is that that's not real that's ego that's not joy that's not lasting whatever that is chasing something and so it's truly about like realigning with what brings me joy what brings me happiness and then when you have that in your real life it will translate onto onto the internet preach i absolutely agree and you know going back to what you were saying about content creators becoming like more rigid over time i also feel like that also really has to do with like the amount of eyeballs that are mm-hmm. on you exactly right? like i'm yes. sure like as you got bigger because i even experienced that two years ago when i had a video that went viral and like i before it i had like less than a hundred thousand followers and then all of a sudden I have like double the eyes on me and I could feel how much it changed the way that I approached social media Mm -hmm. and like creating my own content and felt like, okay, I have to be more reserved because there's so many more eyes on me. And I hated that. I know. Absolutely. And that happened to me for sure. And I know it happened to many people I know. And all of a sudden you feel like all the eyes are on you and you're just like, wait, I can't be myself anymore because there's so many more people watching. And it does feel a little intimidating. But again, to the point we were both making earlier, I think that you also lose something because all the people who followed you for that original 
girl or person that you were are now like, wait, this isn't right. who I followed. So it's this balance. But at the same time, it's also about safety too. Like I don't, I choose not to disclose a lot of my personal life. And that has been, it's a choice. It's not the best choice yeah. for the internet right now when it comes to what, because people want to know to know everything yeah they, you they, have it, almost a million followers like well, that's we live in a parasocial <laughs> we, we live in a parasocial world where like you're going to get more engagement when you really show your life in an authentic way and i do feel like i do that but i purposefully also leave my personal i mean i share about a lot of things so it's not like i'm not but i i, I did for a while like really scale back and just share about my fashion and like like I want I always wanted this to be about clothing and like feeling good in your body and talking about resources and places to shop and like suddenly I was expected to be like and so here's my cat and here's my boyfriend here's my mom here's like you know and it and mm-hmm. it was like wait I didn't sign up for this and so that was hard for me and the thing is in the early days I did do some of that just naturally yeah but I I mean what I, I don't know again I don't even know speaking of I'm like how real do I want to be on here but like it, it gets scary and you <laughs> see like you'll get stalkers you'll get people sending crazy dms or get people being like oh you said you were at this restaurant I'm here where are you like stuff like that where you're just like wait I don't <laughs> that's not why I sh-, you know so I'm just very careful about what I disclose how much I disclose when I disclose it and that's a choice and everyone makes a different choice and you have to just do what feels comfortable for you but I think that's also a part of it is just like a safety element yeah I completely agree because at the end of the day it's also like you're a normal person yeah absolutely you know (laughs) it's like you're not a Kardashian with like bodyguards and you know and all this whole entourage like so many other people have so there is a just like a different level to it yeah yeah for sure and I will say I think I pulled back in some ways because I was Never really going to be that, but I didn't, it scared me that I saw, especially YouTubers, like the people who really put their lives out there, like YouTubers who vlog every day about where they are, all of that. And like, they had like their, their stands are real. And like, I, in some ways that's beautiful. I love that, but I knew that's not what I wanted. I knew that wasn't what yeah. I wanted. So I was like, I do not want to even pretend like that is what I'm trying to do on the internet. I'm trying to show women that you can be plus size in fashionable and that's and -hmm. I want to provide them with resources I want to provide them with beautiful products that they can wear that's what I want to do and I do feel like because I've stayed in that lane I don't have super fans and I love that like I have people who follow me for inspiration and I have people who buy what I sell because they truly love what I create and that's all I've ever wanted is just like people who are like Mm -hmm. I love what you make I get so excited when you have a launch like you're my favorite creator you're my favorite designer whatever they want to call me And they're not, you know, they're kind of women like me. They're like women in their late 20s, mid 30s, some into their 40s and 50s who are just like not on the Internet to obsess about anyone. (laughs) They're on the Internet to like get inspiration for their day to day lives so they can go put on something cute and live in the real world. And so I kind of love that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and you are you are the representation of what they can aspire to look like and be like and. I'll love to say like representation really does matter. And obviously you've built the Gabby Fresh brand on really positive representation and love. And why is this something that you have been so uncompromising in when you're, when you've been building your brand? I just, it truly, it came naturally to me. Like I did not set out with, I didn't have a brand vision. I didn't have a brand ethos. Mm -hmm. I was just myself. And I truly, Mm -hmm. 
was fighting for myself and women who looked like me to be like, why aren't we not included? Like, why are we consistently excluded from an industry when we are the majority? <laughs> like, it just made no sense to me. And I, mm-hmm. it was, and I think until you go through the struggle and the pain of wanting to go to a mall and find your size and you can't, like, that is a dehumanizing experience. And like, that is the collective experience of plus size women to grow up every day in middle school, high school, college, wanting to dress like your friends and literally not being able to, you have two places to go and they're matronly and made for like moms who are going to the office. Like it's just totally not what we wanted to wear. And to have that experience and recognize the inequality and the unfairness of that, but to want to help Mm -hmm. and be like, we have to change this. We can change Mm -hmm. this that is what motivated me and so i think that came through in my work and that's the ultimate driver and like i again like i said we've come so far and i'm so proud of what we have done but it's still plus size women are still struggling to find cute clothing in their style in their price point and still not accessible like luckily we have the internet thank god where things are now i would say the majority of stylish plus size fashion is online and that's great but like if i have to go to an event tomorrow and I have nothing to wear, I can't go into a mall and get an outfit. Like it's just not happening. And so we're still in a really not great place, but it's like (laughs) night and day. It's like night and day from 10 years ago. So I'm very grateful for that. But we have a long way to go and we have still like, there are still sizing issues. There are still like a lot of the brands that have come out still stop at size 22 or 24, sometimes 26 if we're lucky. And so the people who are size 28 and 30 and 32, et cetera, are still like, okay, I'm glad you guys are getting your, your needs met, but what about us? And so there's still a bigger conversation within the plus size community about all this still happening. Yeah. And we know obviously that body image and mental health can be connected. How do you see you and your brand's role in uplifting women? Oh man. I, I think it's inherent to what my brand is about, which is representation and kind of a mindset shift around feeling beautiful, around feeling worthy and feeling like I deserve to have access to the same things as everyone else. And Mm -hmm. I feel good enough in my body to use fashion as a way to express myself. That has always been my, I don't know, what I wanted to impart on my followers was like, all of these other girls use fashion as a way to look cool or to say something about themselves. And we are relegated to wearing what we have to wear because it's available. And that's not yeah. fair. And like, if we do want to explore fashion, like back in the day, the only time plus size, the words plus size were included in like a fashion story in magazines was like how to look smaller. It was always about how to look mm. 10 pounds smaller. Make sure you're wearing black. Make sure you tie a belt around your waist to narr- like, right. like give yourself this hourglass silhouette avoid these colors, make sure you're avoiding horizontal stripes. It was all about what not to wear. And we never had resources around like what to wear. And if it was, again, it was like what to wear to look smaller. And so my blog was always about rejecting that narrative, breaking the rules, wearing whatever you want and using fashion the way other fashion girls get to wear fashion, which is like to express themselves, to say something about themselves and to express a style. And so that's really what I'm about and how I hope I give other women the freedom to feel good enough in their bodies to find what their style is and express themselves through fashion. Yeah. And obviously you're making a big impact there where it really matters. And it's also like, as you just brought up, like, it's so crazy to think about the way that 
plus size fashion has been dealt with in the media. And as you said, it's very focused on what not to wear. And there's always been this feeling of like, there are so many rules Mm -hmm. for what plus size women should be wearing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, that was truly the biggest, it was one of the biggest motivators for me when I was young (laughs) and and starting my blog was like, I need to literally be the antithesis of what not to wear the Stacey London show. And I love her actually. Like I now know her. She's amazing. (laughs) But back in the day, it's like we all grew up watching that narrative of like, oh my God, you have a bigger midsection. How can we make it look smaller? You have big hips. How can we make it? It was all about that. And so my blog was like literally set out to be like, I want to be the anti what not to wear. (laughs) And so I'm, again, I'm just proud of, of that, of how far we have come since then. And like how many beautiful Plus size women are all over fashion magazines, all over campaigns, billboards Mm -hmm. on the Internet. So many influencers, like thousands and thousands and thousands of plus size influencers with all different types of style, because that was the other thing. It was like there were so few styles, like there were so few influencers back then. We didn't even have that word. There were so few bloggers back then that there wasn't a lot of range of style. Right. And so to see now how many amazing people are on the Internet sharing their clothing and sharing their outfits and sharing their tips. It's just such a beautiful thing, you know? And, you know, as we've just been talking about the media, like there's still so much that needs to change, right? Because we are still mostly bombarded with idealized bodies and these standards of beauty, white, thin, et cetera. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on what still needs to be done to shift this paradigm. Oh, a lot. <laughs> like I, I mean, I'm like I know that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, we I cannot say it enough times. Like we have made progress, and I am so grateful for the progress we've made. And I think a few years ago, I would have said we had a long, long, long way to still go, and we do. But like, I truly feel like TikTok is changing the game in that way mm. because they create. It's almost like the second wave of like kind of what we did in the two thousand between two thousand eight two thousand thirteen new creators are doing now in a new way where it's like proving to brands that we that they I should say have credibility and like voices that need to be heard and they they also need to be seen so basically and this happened pre-TikTok but I think TikTok really blew it up and what I mean by that is to say like yes this first wave of influencers helped get plus size women into the door and into the conversations but you still kept seeing the same type of plus size women you can still kept seeing the ashley grams right the palomas the girls with hourglass bodies flat stomachs no double chins very specific type of plus size woman that was like what we call Mm -hmm. on the internet the quote-unquote good fatty like the one who could still fit into the narrative of like oh but she's pretty oh but she looks healthy you know and and so there was a lot of pushback to that there was a lot of backlash within the community to that but I don't think brands took that seriously until TikTok creators came out and they were like commanding 2 million views or whatever every every video. And and then brands were like, okay, maybe this is a thing we should lean into, too, where like we're not going to just keep casting the same hourglass girls. Like we're going to get the girls who have apple shaped and who have all of these other who are extended sizes. Again, same with race and skin color and colorism that, that people have dealt with forever. Yeah. And. Again, I think that started pre-TikTok, but like I have just seen it blow up since TikTok because it's undeniable that people want to see themselves represented in a not just an aspirational way. Yeah. Also, I want to talk a little bit about like the language that's like how language has evolved around plus size women, because even like using the word 
fat, which has always like historically been used as an insult, right? Mm -hmm. But is something that you use on your bio. I even think to like Kelly Brown, who used to have her fat hashtag fat at fashion week hashtag. So like, is this now, this is now a word that I feel like the plus size community has completely like reclaimed and we're like, this is not offensive to us. Yeah. I mean, but context matters. Right. Yeah. So like that again was the, like I said, the early, the early live journal group I joined was called Fat Chinista. And that again Mm -hmm. was about kind of fat politics mixed with fashion. And that introduced the word to me and it truly changed my life. So my blog was actually called Young, Fat and Fabulous. It wasn't called Gabby Fresh. And I think that was the impetus and like the start of a lot of this conversation around like, is fat in fashion a good or bad, like a word that we can use? And I got a lot of pushback. But back then it was actually so common, like almost all the bloggers who came out, like all of us had the word fat in our blog names. Like mm-hmm. um, <laughs> there's a lot of like the fashion girl, like it was a, it was a thing. So anyway. Right. And then I say that to say, like, we really tried to destigmatize the word and like reclaim ownership of something that had been, you know, used as a pejorative against us. And so. I loved that and I still claim it. I still talk about it all the time. I still call myself fat. I think it's there's so much right. freedom to recognizing like you can be both fat and beautiful, fat and stylish, fat and healthy, all of these things. Again, I, it's just as a tangent, I will say it doesn't matter if you're healthy or not. I have many chronic of illnesses. Course. And so like, let's set that aside for another conversation. But my mm-hmm. point is like the word fat had been so stigmatized to something everyone wanted to avoid and had only been used as mm-hmm. an insult. And so for the community to reclaim it is really about showing like, yeah, I'm not going to avoid that word. I'm not going to lie to myself or you and pretend like I'm not fat, but let's talk about what that actually means. Like, I'm not going to reject the identity of fatness, but I'm also going to prove to you and show to you that it doesn't have to be a bad word, that we can be both fat and all of these other beautiful things. And so I love that to see it's like something we all in the community have talked about for so long, but now to see that blow up on TikTok in a new way, it's just so yeah. cool just to see like generation after generation, like expanding what that looks like. I was, it's so funny. I sent it to my friend. I was just watching my for you page and it's like young white kid. I don't know. He was, it was a boy. He was probably like 22 or something. And mm-hmm. he was just like, fat is not a bad word and we have to stop using it. And it was just, I just like, my heart was warmed. I was like, look how far <laughs> we have come, dude. Like the fact that this like 22 year old white guy is talking about this is so cool in the sense of like, I always thought it was just going to be this kind of like insular, not insular, I should say just within the community. I thought it was always going to be a word that like, oh yeah, in our community, we understand that it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but it has spread so far and wide now that like everyday people who are in no way related to the fat community have now heard people talk about this and like I don't know and who are also like becoming allies and recognizing Mm -hmm. that and so to your point about context though I still as much as I use that word to describe myself and I use it to describe other people I will never call someone else fat without their consent without the knowledge that they are okay with the word because at the end of the day it still is a word that does carry a lot of pain with it for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I would never just go up to someone and be like, hey, you're fat. Like, let's <laughs> let's talk, you know, because right. you never know how it's going to be received. And so for yeah. me, it's about using it in a way that is you know, just mindful, mindful. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. But yeah, I think that's an important thing for others to hear as well. As I said, like, I feel like I see it being used a lot more within the plus size community. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that other people are also curious about like how the language has, you know, evolved. Yeah. I think it's something you can reclaim for yourself. 
it is difficult and i'm i'm just now thinking about it from like someone who's not fat from that pov i wouldn't just go around using the word willy-nilly especially of course not to someone without knowing right. how they feel about it you know because it right like I as said, you said yeah yeah so you no. gotta be careful but i think sense. it's important for people to at least understand the reason we use it and yeah. the reason i think it's important to continue to destigmatize and then going back to obviously like a big part of your content has been debunking style myths around plus size women and disproving the idea that there are like some clothes you can only wear if you're thin or whatever, you know, and this has had a big impact on your audience. How do you think that plays a role in their mental health in all of this? I think it, again, kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It, it plays a huge role because whether you consciously realize it or not, if you're just told your entire life what to avoid wearing and it expands beyond that right in the fashion world it's what to avoid wearing but then it expanded to our day-to-day lives it's it's this inherent like subtle covert part of living as a fat person we're dealing with all of these all of these narratives and all of these social whatevers that we've been raised with to be told here's what you're not supposed to do make sure you don't eat fast food in front of people like if you know just so many women that I have talked to and I've heard from both in real life and on the internet who are just like I'm scared to go grocery shopping in front of people because they're judging what's in my cart or like I'm scared to go out to eat because everyone's judging what I'm ordering I can be next to eight thin women who are like eating dominoes next to me but god forbid I grab a piece of pizza everyone's judging me so all of Mm -hmm. those types of things play into how we feel about ourselves and so fashion Mm -hmm. is just another one of those ways where it's like okay I'm constantly be t- being told what to avoid wearing and I'm, I want to seem as small as possible, which I think women in general have been socialized to try to be invisible or small or take up less space, but especially fat women where it's like we're already visibly taking up more space. So a lot of people try to do what they can to make themselves invisible in all other ways. And that's both with using their voice, that's with just physically like trying to make themselves smaller. And then that also plays into fashion where it's like, yeah, I'm going to wear black because I don't want anyone to notice that I'm bigger. I, I'm, I want to wear this, you know, long sleeves because I don't want anyone to see I have rolls on my arms. I don't want anyone to see the cellulite on my thighs. And I don't blame anyone for feeling that way because literally it's what's been told to us our whole lives. It's like, yeah, no, we don't want to see your cellulite. We don't want to see your fat arms. Hide that away. I don't want to see you. And so if that's the messaging you're getting your entire life, of course you're going to feel badly about your body. And so it's never when we fight all of this stuff and tell like women they have to feel good about themselves it's actually doing a disservice to like not recognize the systemic issues <laughs> the same yeah. way with any marginalized community like yes you have you can go to therapy all you want but that's not going to take away racism that's not going to take away fat phobia like you're still living in a world that hates you <laughs> and that tells you we wish you weren't here totally. and so that is going to be an issue whether or not you build your self-esteem right that being said can you work on your self-esteem within this system yeah and um, you can do work to recognize that it is systemic it's not personal has nothing to do with you and like find a way to find a community and find people like influencers and like other fat women who are living their lives freely and who are saying f you i don't care what you think I don't care if you're judging my cellulite. I'm going to the beach, right? And so like, right. and, and that does free up some something in you, like seeing other people do it. And you're like, oh my God, I can do that. And then you do it too. And like, 
most likely no one's gonna say shit to you and if you if they do you can brush it off because you know it is not yours to take on and so just having compassion for the people who do even unfortunately still live in a world where they are judgmental and are judging your body just be like you know what that person has a lot of work to do and like let it go you yeah. know and again easier said than done but i think to your point like of course fashion plays a role in mental health in the sense of like if you've only ever been told how to look smaller it's gonna make you feel a certain way about yourself and about your body yeah yeah um i think it's always important to remember that you know people who who like themselves and feel good about themselves are not going to be commenting negatively on exactly. other people's That's bodies exactly or appearance it. Yeah, it truly comes down to that. And like, you can even I've seen it in myself. The better I feel about myself, I only have positive thoughts about other people. Like I don't even judgment does not even (laughs) cross my mind. I'm not even kidding. Like when I'm in my best place mentally, I'm just like, oh, my God, everyone's so beautiful. The world is so gorgeous. I love the trees. Like everything is just you see everything rose colored because you're in a good place. And when I'm feeling bad about myself, I start noticing the things I don't like about myself and other people. And that is human psychology. Like that is the way it works. But it makes me have compassion for those people who are judging me because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you don't like yourself. (laughs) Like you really don't want to be fat because you hate the way you look and you are living in fear of looking like me. And so instead of acknowledging that and doing work on yourself, you're projecting onto me how you feel about yourself. And that's sad. And I hope you get the help you need, you know, and just like understanding that and moving on is, I think, the key. We'll pray for those people. Exactly. <laughs> so now let's talk about your role as a fashion designer. You launched, well, originally you launched a brand with Nicolette Mason mm-hmm. in 2017. Yes. You guys had that for two years. You've done swimsuits for Swimsuit for All. And then last year you launched another ready-to-wear collection with inclusive brand Fashion to Figure. Tell us about what it's been like for you to be able to bring your ideas to life with plus size women at the focal point. It is truly, truly, truly the best part of my job. I love it so much. Yeah. Ideating and thinking of an idea, seeing it in a sketch, choosing the fabrics, choosing the color, seeing the sample, seeing the fit model, seeing the process that we go through to have something in your head become something that someone's wearing on the street is just like the coolest thing to me. And again, as far as we've come, I still see the need for so many, so much more in the fashion space for plus sizes. And so just filling a space and like filling a creative need and filling a void of things I wish I could wear that don't exist my size or just don't exist in the exact way I want them. So it's just like, oh, I want these jeans, but I wish they were longer. And I wish this was the wash was a little bit lighter, like that kind of thing where I'm like, you can't always find exactly what you're looking for in your size. And so my creative process is all about filling a need, basically. And that's what Nicolette and I really tried to do with Prem was like, where are the contemporary cool plus size brands? Like we had a lot of matronly. We had a lot of corporate. We had a lot Mm -hmm. of juniors. We had a lot of club wear. And it was like, okay, where is this middle ground of like the plus size? Even, I mean, not to compare it to a fast fashion brand, but like even like a Zara type aesthetic it was like we couldn't find a lot of it and it definitely wasn't curated and, and all in one place and all under one brand. And so that was our goal and that has always been my goal is like where's kind of like the the cool girls, where are they going? And I don't say that in like a whatever way, but just in a like when it comes to like the fa- the girls who love fashion, where are they going to shop? 
and it had just become like we had two places, two or three. I was I should say we had two or three places, and so that's where that's how Prime was born. But I will say, like I personally shop at ASOS, Eloquy, and Fashion to Figure, like kind of my three go tos. And so to get the opportunity to work with Fashion to Figure from a creative place and like kind of yeah experience what that was like and what that is like, I'm still working with them has been such a joy. Because, like, the problem with Prem, our brand, with my brand with Nicolette, was, like, we just didn't have the capital. At the end of the day, like, we couldn't create exactly what we wanted because we didn't right. have the capital and we could not. It's hard. We couldn't find funding, which is such, again, another episode for another day because it is <laughs> such a missed opportunity, I think. And, and it's really sad to have a vision, have a really strong narrative have a really strong vision have two founders who have been in the space who created the space and not literally get the understanding from white men basically and like yeah. then seeing other people create plus size brands who are not a part of the community who don't who don't know what the needs are and they're getting millions of dollars it was a really frustrating experience but it was a huge learning experience and mm-hmm. i still feel super grateful one that we did it and we still here literally to this day we closed 3 years ago or something and we still here to this day like oh my god i miss prem oh my god i wish you guys would come back i see tiktoks about it i see people in our dms about it i know i feel like i just saw nicolette post something yes, recently she did she posted uh, a tiktok it. about it and then i i'm still like my i have a friend who own a plus size resale store and she's like we cannot keep prem in stock like if we get any prem it's gone like this because people will come and asking for it so i think in it's like this cool i i find that really that's so cool. amazing you yeah. made such an impact we were not yeah. even out for a very long time but we made a huge impact and i also see the impact from a creative standpoint and what we did now at other brands which is also cool and so I don't know. I think the entire, I feel like there are no mistakes, right? There are no mistakes and there are no, no, like regrets. So I'm so proud of what we were able to do. I'm so happy we did it. And I also took all of the things I learned into the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful to be working with Fashion to Figure because they do have the operations and they do have the capital. And I'm <laughs> able to see so many things that I have created in my brain come to life. And it's just like, my my favorite thing is like seeing people wear it and making cool content and tagging me and I'm just like oh my god this was on a piece of paper eight months ago and now it's in a TikTok I love this you know it just brings me so much joy and just also the creative process in general is a joy for me and thinking about what I want the campaign to be thinking about what the storytelling is like all of that stuff is so fun and so by far yeah my favorite part of my job it must be so rewarding it I really, really is love that for you And over the years, you've partnered with a number of companies like Playful Promises and Swimsuits for All. Why is it important for you to get involved with brands who are really making a difference? I think I'm helping them make the difference is really what they're making it. They are making a difference. Don't get me wrong. But it's more just like I love helping brands understand the impact of the plus size community and being like, this Mm -hmm. is why we should be serving this audience. Yep. And really helping them move the needle on style and on design, specifically with swim. When I started swim design, there were almost no cool plus size swimwear options. Monique C, who I always shout out, she's a black designer at the time who was making plus size swimwear. She was like the only one. And we were in contact. We were friends. We are friends, but we were friends closer back then because she doesn't design anymore, I don't believe. But so she would be like, you know, we'd be talking about this and like what the needs were and what, how 
sad it was that like more people weren't doing this, etc. And so when I wore a swimsuit, it went viral because for that exact reason, because like it was un- it was unheard of. It's like, oh, my God, this plus size girl is wearing a swimsuit. And not that it didn't have. Of course, that happens all the time. But like my point is in the context of a fashion blogger doing that. Right. Right. And so that's what went viral. And because of that, I got the opportunity to work with Swimsuits for All. And they at the time had really matronly swim it was just not stylish and i was like Mm -hmm. i really want to do bikinis and they were like okay like let's let's see how this goes it was a very small capsule collection there were three swimsuits and we broke we literally broke the internet their website crashed like everything sold out it was crazy and everyone just looked at it around and they're like oh this is not this is we did not expect this and so year after year we continued to grow and grow and grow like exponentially then they brought ashley graham on for her collection and of course it mm-hmm. blew up even more because of course she's ashley graham and at yep. that point now they are literally a household name in plus size swim like whenever i see people on you know on forums on tiktok on instagram on facebook saying like oh i'm, I'm plus size where can i get swimsuits everyone's like swimsuits for all and like i know that i helped do that and that has been a really cool part of my career and like a lot of people just at this point even people who don't follow me or know much about me they do my name for them is synonymous with swim that's like what they know me as it's like oh she makes swimsuits and so I think that is amazing <laughs> like I think I will I yeah. will say early in my career I was resistant because I was like I do so much more than swimsuits like why don't like I like I wear because I had built so much in my fashion blog about around fashion about breaking the rules around street style and streetwear and then all of a sudden I was known as like the swim girl and I remember being like wait I'm so much more than that that. yeah but now it's so cool and I'm just like I love that my brand is now synonymous with swim I think that's yeah that's amazing like I don't know I I think my ego back then whatever just like now I just find it really cool to have any place in anyone's journey with their body even if it was just a swimsuit one year you know, eight years ago, that's awesome, you know? And so absolutely. Yeah. I just feel lucky that I've been able to work with these brands. And like, I also do think playful promises in particular has an amazing ethos and they have an amazing, they've always been about inclusivity and about like really showing diversity. And so I think aligning with them for me was about like putting our brains together on design. And I, what I love about their brand is that they are so true to their name they're playful like their designs themselves are like risky mm-hmm. and they're risk-taking yeah. and at the at that point i had wanted to get into lingerie design and i had a couple of options on the table in terms of which brand i was going to choose and the other mm-hmm. ones were all so much more conservative they were just like mm-hmm. i could tell i was going to be held back creatively and i could tell yeah. if i went with the other brands they were not gonna have fun and i was like look i don't want to just make another bra <laughs> like i was like I the thing the reason I wanted to design bras and and lingerie was because I have a a really large chest. It was so hard for me, even in plus size stores. I mean, I'm a double H, probably bigger than that now, (laughs) cup. And like you would see the A through the double D, the triple D, sometimes the E or whatever F. It would go black. I mean, it would you would go from all the cool little like frilly stuff into like the G and the H and the J or whatever. If they even went up that high, it would be like plain black, plain beige. Nude. like literally it and yeah and even not in a cool way like now we have the skims aesthetic or whatever that's like doing that minimalist thing in a beautiful way but back then it was just like here is like the the ugliest you know the ugliest thing possible and so I was like I'm not gonna go with a brand that's not gonna allow me to have fun and like really play with 
fun textures and fabrics. And so we did like really cute stuff around fur and well, faux fur. Let me clarify. Faux fur yeah. and um, sequins. Like we were doing like sequins corsets and like all of this stuff that I had never, ever had in my size. So and so it was a really, really fun experience to partner with them. Okay. And finally, what are your hopes for the future of the fashion industry when it comes to being, you know, more diverse and inclusive? And at the same time, like what advice would you give to any women who are listening, who are struggling, you know, with their body image? Yeah. I mean, those are definitely linked because I think one will impact the other. Right. And so I think Mm -hmm. for the fashion industry, I think just more diversity, more inclusion. I, I think we've, we've started to see this, but the more that it can feel like not tokenizing. Right. So I don't want to see a special body positive issue of a magazine. (laughs) I want body. I want plus size women to be included in every issue. It should just be normalized where we're seen in every campaign on every runway. And same for clothing. Accessibility to me is the biggest pain point right now that I see the most need for, which is like, Mm -hmm. we should be able to walk into a store and find our size. It should not be this hunt of like, let me dig through like, well, one, they don't exist. But if if there are one or two stores in a mall, like, let me go up the escalator to the eighth floor in the back and see (laughs) if I can like dig next to like the flatware and see if I can find something in this dingy unlit place you know and so we're seeing over and over brands expand sizing slowly and I understand from a financial reason why they feel the need to do that but at the end of the day Mm -hmm. like you're still leaving so many women out and you're still making people experience the same thing we have for so long which is exclusion and which is like oh well I guess a size 20 is good enough but me as a size 26 I'm not or like I guess They're willing to Mm -hmm. call this person good enough to wear these clothes, but like not me. And so I think the ultimate goal would just be for the majority of brands to have inclusive sizing and to have have it accessible in a way that's not all online. And like, I don't know how realistic that is in the sense of like everything is obviously digital these days. Yeah. But I do feel like as long as we have physical stores for thin women like they should exist for plus size women too and it shouldn't be that hard and so that being said I also believe that women can I I don't know why I keep saying women people what people can do what fat people can do to help with their mental health and feel better is like I really will say I've preached this since the day I started my blog which is like following people who look like you and the importance of that like it really changed my life and I have seen it change Mm -hmm. other people's lives and so I cannot overstate how important it is to do like a little social media detox and like unfollow people that make you feel bad about your body and follow people who make you feel good about your body and be like, oh, she looks cute yeah. in that. Like maybe I could look cute in that too. Like that really, really will. And it doesn't necessarily happen right away, but it happens slowly. If your feed is full of diversity, it really does. You start to see the beauty in yourself because you're seeing it in other people and you're like, oh, well, if she can look cute and she's my size, why can't I look cute? Like, and it's this like subtle shift that happens. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I look good today. And so I think that is like the one biggest thing that you can do. And then the other things are just like I said, like I think therapy is super helpful for feeling validated, not shaming yourself if you don't feel good is a big one. I think 
the one thing, the one kind of negative side that I've heard about the body positive and the fat positive movement is like it can make women and people feel bad about themselves when they don't feel good. They're like, well, now here's another thing I'm messing up. Excuse my language. Here's another thing I'm messing up because I'm looking in the mirror and I don't feel good. And now I feel like I'm not good enough at liking myself you know like they they then feel shame about not feeling good and then it's just another layer of something they're not achieving and so i think having compassion for yourself and understanding like we said earlier like you're living in a system where you were told and taught not to feel good about yourself it's not your fault Mm -hmm. you live in a world that's not great when it comes to making women love themselves have confidence etc so like just be patient have grace understand that your body is a thing that carries you through the world. And if you don't love it every day, or if you don't love it in general, that's okay. Just, I think the bigger goal is to make peace with it. Um, understand what it does for you, have gratitude for what it does for you. And if that means just thanking it for like, you know, carrying you from one place to the next, like that's enough. And and so just not setting these expectations for yourself where like I have to one, look a certain way. And two, if I don't look that way, I have to feel good about not looking that way, you know, cause that's just, a, mm-hmm. you know, a recipe for failure and shame which is not going to help you out of it so i think following people who look like you diversifying your feed and also following people who don't look like you do but not in a way that's aspirational but in a way that gets you out of your head (laughs) so what Mm -hmm. i basically mean by that is like following people who are not your race following people who are not your size following more marginalized voices who are going to teach you about other experiences so all of that i think is is important and will hopefully give you like a more holistic perspective of like oh we're all just on this planet trying to make trying to make something happen trying to feel good in our bodies trying to mm-hmm. you know stay happy and stay positive and so i think the more perspective you have the better and i think that absolutely diversifying your feed definitely gives you that perspective absolutely i always say like with the amount of time that we all spend on social media like we've created these digital worlds for ourselves and we have to be really mindful that we're not creating like a homogenous yeah. digital world for ourselves yeah We want it to reflect the way that it looks outside. Thank you so much, Gabby, for being here today. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you and like in awe of everything that you have achieved over the years and the impact you are having and helping women is just truly incredible. Oh my God. Thank you so much. This was such a fun combo. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Bye. That is all the time we have for today. I want to say thank you so much to Gabby Fresh for joining us today to discuss building a brand based on positivity. We're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. Make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. Tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.